into the book of Romans. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, grab your Bible. If you're using the YouVersion uh, Bible app, you can find the notes there as you can every single week. And the reason that that would be a good thing for you to do is, uh, how many of you guys are really forgetful people unless you write something down? I am 100% that person. And so if you use the YouVersion notes and you save that event, you can access the, you know, small group questions, you can access all the notes if you are wanting to remember something that we talk about. Um, also, if you maybe write something down that sticks out to you, something, maybe a question that you have, feel free to write those things down and um, ask those in your small groups and your small group leader would love to respond to those. Okay, I want to ask you a question that I'm sure all of us in this room, whether you are 11 or 12 years old or 55 or 112 years old, you have experienced this. Have you ever found yourself in a vicious cycle of knowing what you need to do, but still not doing it? Just by a show of hands. You've been in this cycle of you know exactly what you need to do, but you still don't do it. Uh, here's the, you can put your hands down. Um, you know that it will benefit you immensely. It will probably make your life more enjoyable. It will improve your quality of life. Um, it might improve your friendships. It will help you get better grades. But for some reason, you cannot muster up enough willpower or energy necessary to complete said task. Uh, we are in January, and um, whenever you start a new year, what's the most common thing that a person does? By, you guys can just shout it out. You set goals. Someone said set goals. What? Yeah, we do that in January, every January. Yep, that's good. What? Oh, quit. I said win everything. I was like, oh, okay. So quit everything. Okay, yeah. So if you had a healthy or an unhealthy habit in the previous year, January is a new year, and you start over. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. When I think of new year, I think about this quote, I need to change how I eat, and I need to exercise. How many of you guys have ever heard that before? It's a brand new year. It's, a, it's time for us to, to eat different, to exercise. Um, you watch all of the health TikToks. Um, you've watched all of the YouTube videos about healthy habits. Um, but what do you always do? The pull back to your old ways of doing things is strong. You know your relationship that you're currently in, whether it's like a dating relationship, like a romantic relationship, you know that that relationship's not good for you, but they temporarily fill this void in your life and yet they make you feel like you belong. And so you stay with this unhealthy relationship, um, toxic relationship. You know what you need. There's a broken communion cup, and I stepped on it. Uh, you know what you need to do to put in the work, to do your homework, to get better grades, but what happens? You don't want to do it. The desire to not do it is stronger than the desire to do it and to get better grades. Here's the deal. like that We like to do this in New Year's resolutions or New Year's goals, but this is not limited to our everyday life. This very much bleeds over into our life as a Christian. Um, and if you've been a Christian for longer than five minutes, um, you know the struggle to honor God with your life and your desire to please the desires of our flesh don't always line up. 
Our text speaks directly to this war that is within your soul. And if you were here last Wednesday, um, you will know that we briefly talked about this. And so we're going to stand together. Madison Bain is going to come. She is going to read our text in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Nice job. Stand together in the New Living Translation. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Amen. Good job. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Man, if this isn't the most explicit uh, explanation of the human, human experience, I don't know what is. Like, this is the struggle of almost every person in the world, whether you are a Christian or you're not a Christian. I want to do what is right but I often often choose the opposite. And so we're going to break this down into two separate sections, and then um, we're going to walk through them, and hopefully it begins to make sense. There's a lot of repetition in this passage. So the first chunk is verses 14 through 20, and you could summarize it this way. The desire to do what honors God is hard. Plain and simple. To do the things that honor God, they're, they're hard to do. Like knowing what God requires of humanity is hard to do. Last week we looked at verses 7 through 13, and the big idea of that text was the law of God is good and it shows us our sin, but sin deceives us into thinking it's not. Sin deceives us into thinking that the law of God and the things of God are not good. And so even though we know what we're supposed to do, sin tries to tell us that we shouldn't do those, those things. And we talked about extensively about how the law of God and the good things of God acts as a magnifying glass and shows us how destructive our sin is. But also, like we said, how sin tries to convince us that our sin isn't that bad. And so the text that we're going to look at tonight is the everyday struggle with the reality that we know God, we have a knowledge of him, but we do what is dishonorable and sinful time and time again. And as we discussed last week at depth or at length, we can't get mad at the law of God and blame the law of God for our sins. We must realize that the law is not the problem. God is not the problem, that we are the problem. Like us, us is the problem. 
The problem is that we cannot fulfill what God requires of us, but thankfully there's a remedy for that, and we will get to that at the end. I want to read verses 15 through 17 again, and we'll talk about it. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So Paul's uh, problem is not that he lacks the desire to do good or the knowledge of what good is. He lacks the power to adhere to what he knows. And we can just see this within our passage. That's why we wrote those notes of where we see that in verse 15, 16, and 17. So the law of God did not give the Jewish person, that's what um, this letter was written to Jews and non-Jews. The law of God did not give the Jewish person any power to overcome their sinful nature. It simply revealed to them that they were sinful people. And this can cause us to doubt God's goodness because why would God put something into place if he knows that we can't keep it? Like, why would God do that to us if God is loving, if God is good? And as we've been saying over the past few weeks of this series, the law of God reveals the holy character of God. The law of Moses set apart the nation of Israel from other nations. It reveals the sinfulness of man, as we've been talking about. It provided a way for the people of Israel to receive forgiveness through sacrifices and offerings, as well as many other things. So God provided a way for their sins to be forgiven through sacrifices and offerings. And we can see that it was not not the law that gave them the ability to defeat sin. Like we've been saying, it's revealing their sin. And and then we have a choice of whether or not we want to give in to our sinful desires. And so this is what Paul is trying to show the Roman church and us today. Before we move on, I want to point something out that's really interesting in verse 17. Paul says that he's not the one doing wrong, that he says that it's the sin within him that's doing wrong. So here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. When we read this at the surface level, is this Paul not taking responsibility for his actions? So does this give us, in turn, the freedom to do the same? Blame it like, oh, I didn't do that. Like, that's just my sinful nature. That's just my personality. That's just the way I'm wired so I can do these different things. Does that give us, does this verse give us the authority to do that? Paul is not, here's the deal. I'm just going to lay it straight out. Paul is not shifting the responsibility for his sin, uh, sinfulness. Um, scholars can prove why that belief is true. He acknowledges that sin has a greater hold on his life than he thought or wants. So the problem is not his attitude or desires. And we know this by reading the verses, these verses in all of Romans. He wants to do what is right because of his tone. You can read it in his words and how he agrees with the law of God being good. And the Greek word uh, tra- that we translate as good can also be translated as noble, beautiful, and upright. And so within context, we can see that verse 17 clearly shows that he actually is taking responsibility for his sinfulness. Um, In a letter to another church, it was in a, a city called Philippi, 
Paul also talks about his Jewishness not being good enough to save him from the wrath of God. And so he's talking about how his Jewishness and his good deeds that he does are not enough to pull him from the allure and the pull of sin in his life. Uh, Will Timmons, he's a Bible scholar, he describes what Paul is writing about as a computer virus that takes over your heart and impairs your ability to do good. It doesn't completely block it, it just impairs your ability to do good. He says that we have developed a, quote, moral disability. Like, we have a harder time doing what God has called us to do as believers because sin has partially debilitated our ability to do right and to choose what is right. And as I've said uh, dozens and dozens of times, this does not mean that people who do not follow Jesus cannot do good things. Like, that's just not a reality. We see people who don't claim to follow Jesus doing so many good things um, all over the world. But the motivation to do those things is not to please God, but it's to please themselves or make others better. But here's the deal. Desiring to make others better is not a bad thing. It's just not the whole picture of what God has called us to do. God has called us to, to love one another because he has first loved us. And the hardest part of this whole thing is the fact that we are a new creation in Christ as Christians, but our capacity to sin is still intact. Paul wrote another letter to a church in Corinth, and he says that when you are in Christ, meaning when you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender yourself to him, you repent of your sins, that you are reborn, that you are made into a new creation, which is frustrating that we still live in this life on this earth with the ability to sin. But the, re the reality is that the sin in us is not our master. Jesus is our master, but it still remains powerful and persuasive, as one writer put it. So as we can see, Paul is not shrugging, shrugging off the responsibility for his sin, so nor should we do the same. Let's well, read verses 18 through 20. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong. But I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So Paul continues to reiterate this war that's raging inside of him as a believer. But there is good news in all of this. Let's read about it in verses 21 through 25. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want, here we go, repeating it again, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I, lo I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Here comes the good news, verse 25. Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So if you were to uh, summarize this, put it in really simple terms, you could summarize it this way. Jesus is the only one who can free us from the grip of sin. 
And one of the points Paul is making in this passage is to show us that we cannot be good or holy or righteous on our own. The reality is that sin will continue to beat you up and push you back no matter how hard you try. And C.S. Lewis described this theme of never being able to achieve enough to be good enough. He describes it this way. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. No one realizes how bad they truly are until they try to do what is right. And we know this so well. Just like I gave the, at the example at the beginning of this sermon, you know what you need to do to be healthier. I know what I need to do to be healthier. I know that I need to go to bed earlier. I know that I need to wake up with my alarm. I know I need to eat less sugar. I know I need to be on my phone less, but what do I continue to do? Go to, exactly. I go to bed late. I don't wake up with my alarm. I turn my app timers off and I eat a bunch of sugar. You don't know, though. I just told you. <laughs> Do you watch me? Weirdo. But the, <laughs> here's the deal. Here's the point I'm getting at. I'm going to move on. You guys all know where I live, dang it. <laughs> but the knowledge doesn't change anything unless you desire to work to change your habits. And the, re- the, 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 uh, the, <sighs> wow. Start over. Thank you. Words, they're so hard. What usually gets you to that place is you get so fed up with your way of life that it demands that you do something different. And maybe for you, it's a broken relationship. Maybe for you, it's a health diagnosis. Maybe whatever the case may be, usually it has to get really, really bad in order for you to change your life. When we have the same realization that Paul has laid out, it drives us closer to Jesus and our reliance on the Holy Spirit for the power to grow. And he says in verse 24, this is the life that he's living. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Interestingly enough, as I was studying this passage, I didn't know this before, but the Greek word translated as miserable was often used in the context of being exhausted from hard labor. So knowing the context of how this word was used, it makes an even stronger point that we become exhausted from trying to do enough and be the person who is, quote, worthy of God's grace. So in verse 25, Paul gives the church of Rome the good news. He says that Jesus came to bring freedom from the grip of sin and death in a person's life. And the good news for us is this is still true for us today. And Jesus invites his followers in Matthew chapter 11 to do the same. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this was, yes, first for the people that Jesus was talking to, but this is also for us today. Jesus invites us into a relationship that is not heavy from the pressure to perform. 
He invites us into a relationship where we trust him. He carries the weight of sin and we reap the benefits of grace, love, and forgiveness. And if you have yet to give your life to Jesus and begin that relationship with him, I want you to have an opportunity to do that tonight. We're going to take the next several minutes and have some time to reflect on what Jesus has done, um, the weight of our sin, but ultimately the goodness of God. So I want to ask a couple questions. Have you been trying to perform for God to prove that you're good enough? Have you been trying to perform for your parents to prove to them that you're good enough? Have you been trying to prove yourself to your friends to prove that you're good enough to be their friends? I don't know what that blank needs to be filled in with, but I'm sure you do. I would encourage you to take the next several moments and pray. And Jordan's going to come, and um, she's going to play the keys. We're going to kind of we're going to have the lyrics on the screen for that last song that we sang. She's going to sing sing a portion of that, and we just want to give you an opportunity to reflect and to pray, whether that's praying with a friend or praying with a youth leader. I want you to. Um, as you, as you take the next few moments, I want you to let go of those maybe things that we've talked about. Your pressure to perform, to prove to God that you're good enough. I want you to thank him for what he has done for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your life. And maybe a step for you is to find your small group leader and ask them to pray with you. Maybe you share with them what you're processing, the thing that you're praying about. And if you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, please find a leader and they would love to walk you through that. It's just a confession of your sins. It's a a recognition of what Jesus has done for you and recognizing him as the Lord and the Savior of your life. Or maybe you just need some prayer. Maybe there's some hard things that you're walking through, your family is walking through, and you just need someone to encourage you and to pray with you. Like I said, please find your small group leader. They would love to pray with you. Before we do that, I want to leave us with a big idea. If you were to summarize everything that we've talked about, I believe you could summarize it this way. No amount of willpower can save us from our sins. Jesus is the only one who can free us from sin and death. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. Jordan's going to play and sing. And as we've talked about, I want you to maybe find a youth leader, find a friend to pray with. As we always say, this isn't a time for us to um, talk. This isn't a time for us to joke around. This is a time for you to be alone with God, with yourself, um, thinking about what Jesus has done for you. And if you need prayer, please find someone to pray with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. Jesus, we thank you that it's not based upon our willpower that we receive salvation because God, our willpower runs out. It's a finite resource. So God, we thank you that we can trust in your goodness. Lord, I pray for every person, teenager and adult in this room, that they would be reminded that you love them, that you care for them, and that you desire for them to be in a relationship with you growing and thriving relationship with you. So what I pray that as we contemplate and as we think about the struggle of 
knowing what you want us to do and choosing not to do it. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to choose what is right? And when we don't choose what is right, empower us to lay those things at the foot of the cross and ask for the forgiveness of Jesus. Would you continue to be with us over these next few moments as we sing, as we think, as we journey?